let us pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Good morning. A happy Easter. He has risen. Okay. Um, those in the Amsters, we also greet you. Does it really matter? It's a good crowd today. Not often you people, people are seen in what I call spit row. <laughs> For obvious reasons, but it's good to have such a large crowd at Easter. Alright, let's begin. In the early 1980s, I got to know Reverend Noel Mansfield from the Uniting Church in Australia. Uh, I googled two days ago to see whether he's still around and uh, whether he's still alive. And apparently he is, uh, just uh, north of Sydney, I think. Um, never mind. He told me about this Easter play a church presented. And he says uh, it really happened. They planned an absolutely ingenious way of depicting the crucifixion and resurrection. They put a person representing Jesus on a cross, which we would gradually be raised by a system of weights and pulleys. And when the cross became upright, at the back of the cross was a cage with doves. That cage would open and the birds would fly out representing the resurrection. That was the way it was supposed to happen. The day itself, the original person who was going to play the part of Jesus fell sick and had to be replaced. And the replacement was much smaller and they forgot to adjust the weights to compensate for the difference in weight. As a result, instead of gradually being raised, the cross just went <laughs> in an instant and it knocked Jesus unconscious. The action was so violent, it actually killed the birds in the cage. So that when the cage opened, they just dropped dead to the floor. That one don't need pictures, huh? you can actually imagine what's happening. Now, aren't we glad that nothing like that went wrong the first original resurrection, the first Easter? Think about it. Actually, you know, theoretically, a thousand things could have gone wrong, but it didn't. And Jesus really rose from the dead. For the Christian faith, how important is the resurrection? Is it a matter of fact? Or... I'm sorry, is it a matter of faith, just a matter of faith, or is it a matter of fact and history? Sometimes I think Christians are a bit apologetic. They say, never mind, JBL, JBL, not speakers, just believe lah. Don't worry, no proof, never mind, just believe lah. The Apostle Paul had no doubts about the importance of the resurrection. Our scripture reading for today, this Easter Sunday, is 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19. Here Paul writes, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. You are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. But if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen in sleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's equation is this. No, re- no resurrection, no Christianity, no hope, futile faith, gone case, go home. That's basically what he's saying. But we say that it is not just a matter of faith. It is a matter of fact and history. We can say with assurance that there is a historical case to be made. Even if we take the Bible just as a historical text, not as a divine book. We take it as same as any other. There's enough evidence to say, yes, it happened. Jesus did rise from the dead. We are still on the quest to find Singapore's brainiest Methodists. So far we have not been successful, so we try again. Anyone here has ever heard of Frank Morrison? Okay, still searching. And his book, Who Moved the Stone? Frank Morrison was a skeptic, and he started out trying to use the Bible and history to disprove the resurrection and debunk Christianity. In the end, after all his research, he came to the exact opposite conclusion. And the result was this book, Who Moved the Stone?, which makes the case for the resurrection instead. Go and read it. It's still a good book. Other helpful books are by Josh McDowell. Things like Evidence That Demands a Verdict, a Ready Defense, and The Resurrection Factor. I know in this so-called postmodern world, many distrust history, and some even claim, for example, that the Holocaust, the Nazi extermination of six million Jews and others, did not actually happen. Nevertheless, it seems to be that most people have better sense than this. There is value and veracity or truth in history, and historical evidence can be relied on. So back to the resurrection. Why is it so important. Even those who oppose Christianity know how important it is. Many years ago, when Newsweek magazine still existed in print, I read an article which said, from the beginning, critics of Christianity have dismissed the resurrection as a theological invention. In other words, fake. They have tried every which way to explain away the resurrection. So what we shall do today is to confront and answer all the arguments and alternatives proposed by the opponents of the resurrection. So to get quickly into it, firstly, we want to look at what is euphemistically called the swoon theory. The swoon theory. Now, now we're not talking about ladies swooning, uh, you know, about their hunks. Uh, Who are the hunks now? My time it was something like Rock Hudson 
But I suppose now it's uh, what, Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt and uh, Tom Cruise, is it? Ryan Reynolds, what? the most sexiest man alive, is it? Uh, Orlando Bloom. Am I am I getting it right? Uh, and then there's also the K-pop boy bands, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. This earlier service was the older ladies that are nodding at the K-pop boy band. I was wondering why. When my niece was younger, she claimed to be married to this K-pop boy band fellow called Kinky Bum, something like that. Why would you want a name that sounds like Kinky Bum? Ah, yeah. So hard to explain these things, huh? Part of the mysteries of life. Okay, this theory says Jesus did not die, he only swooned. That is, lost consciousness. He may have even uh, fallen into a coma. <clears throat> so, as a result, they thought he had died, and therefore they put him in the tomb, where it was cool and dry and so invigorating. He somehow revived. And though weak from his injuries, <coughs> which included a spear stabbed into the heart, by the way, managed not only to get out of his burial cloths, he moved the stone covering the entrance, eluded or overpowered the guard, and escaped, and then appeared to his disciples. Why is this, why is it so important to answer the soon theory? Because the critics of the resurrection know that if you do not die, you cannot resurrect. Precondition for resurrection is dying first. Okay? You agree? Okay, huh? So, if for Jesus to resurrect, he must have truly died, not just have swooned. So let's look at this theory. Did Jesus really die? Well, two things tell us that he did. Well, um, and this is what the Roman soldiers, these are veterans of execution, especially by crucifixion, what they did and did not do. Okay, firstly, what they did. John 19.34 says, they plunged the spear into Jesus' side to pierce the heart. As a result, there was a discharge of blood and serum, which is almost conclusive post-mortem mortem <coughs> evidence of death. <coughs> Number two, what they did not do, they did not break his legs. The previous verse, John 19.33. Um, they did break the legs of the two thieves beside him to speed up their deaths. You all should know all this, it's in the Bible. Okay, if you don't know, please read the Bible. It's helpful. These are seasoned soldiers, crucifiers if you like, so <clears throat> they could tell Jesus was dead. Okay, so even if after that Jesus still somehow managed to fool them all, what they did to prepare the body would probably have killed him. Because they wrapped him up, head to toe, with up to 35 kilos of spices. That's what the Bible also describes. And what is the plausibility of a recovered but weakened Jesus rolling over the stone covering the tomb from inside? It's hard enough from outside 
but from inside the stone would have weighed up to two imperial tons. That is T-O-N-S, not the metric ton, T-O-N-N-E, which is lighter. Gospels of Matthew and Mark say the stone was very big. As for overpowering the Roman guard, <clears throat> we'll consider this uh, soon in the next alternative to the resurrection. Okay, second theory now. The disciples stole the body. That's the second. The disciples stole the body. Somehow they overpowered the guards, or while the guards were asleep, they managed to roll away the stone and stole the body and declared Jesus had risen. How plausible is this? Well, this was Roman army, mind you. Do you really think a bunch of fishermen could have overpowered them? Asleep? Um, how many been through national service, guys? So few. Come on. All of you are... Okay. What is the penalty for sleeping on guard duty in the SAF, the Singapore Armed Forces? More guard duty, maybe court-martial if it's serious enough, and detention. Do you know punishment for the same crime in the RAF? Not Royal Air Force. Roman Armed Forces. <laughs> what is the punishment? Yes. Summary execution. In Acts 12.19, when Peter escapes from prison, Herod, and this is his own guards, he executes the guards who were responsible. RAF, same or worse. But we note in Matthew 28.11-15 that the guards were still alive. In fact, they were bribed to say that they had fallen asleep. How plausible is this? If they had fallen asleep, they ought to be dead. Not alive, walking around telling others about it. Besides, if the disciples did steal the body, would they have died for a lie? All the disciples, save for John, were martyred. Think about this. Some say the Jewish authorities removed the body. Play a trick, you know. So what? When the disciples said Jesus had risen, all they would have simply had to do <coughs> was to produce the body and put an end to the nonsense. So that. And final two alternatives, we answer with the two most powerful evidences of the resurrection. Number one <coughs> of the alternatives, wrong tomb, wrong address. Instead of 01-17, they went to 01-23. And of course it was empty because wrong place. Well, all they had to do was check the number again, go to the right tomb and produce the body. More wrong theory than wrong tomb. The fact is the tomb was empty. The empty tomb is the single most powerful evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And for 2,000 years, no one has been able to refute this. <clears throat> Even for those who cannot believe in resurrection, the empty tomb is a historical fact. No one who was there, including the Jewish authorities, denied the empty tomb. If you add this, 
<coughs> to the post-resurrection appearances, the second piece of evidence, only one reasonable conclusion can we arrive at. Jesus rose from the dead. You know, the final counter-argument by the critics is that all the appearances of Jesus after Easter were hallucinations. The disciples, they say, wanted to believe so much that the resurrection of Jesus, or in the resurrection of Jesus, they wanted to believe it so badly, they began to see things. But that's why 1 Corinthians 15, the rest of what I read, is so important. Paul records that more than 500 people saw Jesus alive. He even lists names. If the hallucinations were true, this would have been by far the most unprecedented large mass hallucination in history. And of course, it did not happen. The fact is, we have 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Seems to me the case is beyond reasonable doubt. The Newsweek article <coughs> uh, concludes by saying this. Scholars agree that the two oldest pieces of Jesus, uh, of the New Testament tradition, speak to Jesus rising from the dead. First, the tomb in which Jesus' corpse was placed after the execution was empty. If it were not, then Christianity's opponents could have produced his bones or remains. The second tradition is the apostles, including Paul, believe the risen Christ had appeared to them, writing in the first years after the Passion. Paul lists specific living witnesses, presumably in order to encourage doubters to seek corroboration testimony. And the final piece of the puzzle is this. What would have made the early Christians, who were devout Jews, to change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday? Remember how holy the Sabbath is to the Jew. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. The answer, only the resurrection, which happened on a Sunday. Nothing less would have caused the shift of the day of worship. You see, we have more than just a good case. Resurrection is not just a matter of faith. It is a matter of fact. We need not be apologetic or defensive. No need to say, just believe lah. Our faith is built on the firm foundation of historical fact. The resurrection of Jesus. Is it really important? Does it really matter? Yes. Actually, all this is not new. <coughs> um, what I presented, I studied in seminary 35 years ago. When I was there, I also did a very serious study on the Gospel of John. All those who have done this deeply studied John deeply, know that he writes as if he's presenting a case in court where he presents witnesses, testimony, signs, and evidence that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. John the Baptist is his first witness. John 1, 
6-7 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. First piece of evidence, Exhibit A, as they say, right, in the, uh, the movies and all that, the TV, or sign, is the wedding in Cana. You know, turning water into wine. John 2.11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And this goes on and on. If you read the whole gospel to the end, where John 20, 30 to 31 says, Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you have life in his name. John 21, 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know his testimony is true. Evidence, signs, uh, testimony, witness. John's purpose was to make the case beyond reasonable doubt, as they say, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that all of us can put our faith in him. And actually, John's final witness is Thomas, doubting Thomas as we call him, the one who doubts that Jesus has risen from the dead. He doubts the resurrection. John 20, 29 Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples, the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He's quite a gross guy. Okay. <laughs> Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom Aleichem. Peace be with you. He then said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In the end, Thomas didn't touch him at all because the evidence is so clear. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In case you don't know, this is uh, one of those beatitudes outside the novelist. Blessed are those who have not seen. Why? Because you do not need to see to believe anymore. All the evidence is there. That's for us. We do not need to see to believe. The evidence is there already. Jesus is risen. He is alive. He is the Son of God. You can believe. And belief does not mean a leap of blind faith or a blind leap of faith. Only dumb people do that. In the Bible, belief is more than just believing that the resurrection happened. In the Bible, belief is always best translated trust. So to believe in God means to trust Him not only that Jesus is the Christ, not only is He divine, and alive, but trusting God with our whole lives. 
I want you to listen to Josh McDowell's testimony. He said at first he thought Christianity was a farce. To him, Christians were walking idiots. But later, after much investigation, he concluded that Jesus must be real. Because like Frank Morrison, he set out to disprove Christianity and also ended up with the opposite conclusion. He says in his own words, I had a problem. My mind told me all this was true, but my will was pulling in the different direction. But, as we probably know, in the end, he just decided to accept Christ, <coughs> and it changed his life. Because he said, firstly, he had a bad temper. But he found, later, it's hard to lose your temper when it's not there anymore. If you don't have temper, cannot lose. You understand? All those of us who have bad temper, think about it, please. Go and lose it somewhere and then don't take it back and you will not need to lose it again. He also hated his father. He says in chapter 1 of his book, Already Defense. His father was the town alcoholic. He lived in a small town. And so everyone knows. And that's why he hated his father. I don't blame him, of course. Then, <clears throat> I read to you from his book. After I made that decision for Christ, maybe five months later, a love from God through Jesus Christ entered my life and was so strong it took that hatred and turned it upside down. I was able to look my father squarely in the eyes and say, Dad, I love you. And I really meant it. After some of the things I'd done, that shook him up. Shortly after I transferred to a private university, I was in a serious car accident. My neck in traction, I was taken home. I'll never forget my father coming into my room. He asked me, Son, how can you love a father like me? I said, Dad, six months ago I despised you. Then I shared with him my conclusions about Jesus Christ. Dad, I let Christ come into my life. I can't explain it completely, but as a result of that relationship, I found the capacity to love and accept not only you, but also other people just the way they are. Forty-five minutes later, Josh McDowell continues to share, one of the greatest thrills in my life occurred, Somebody in my own family, someone who knew me so well I couldn't pull wool, wool over his eyes, said to me, Son, if God can do it, if God can do in my life what I've seen him do in yours, then I want to give him the opportunity. Right there, my father prayed with me and trusted Christ. This is what can happen to anyone who truly believes in Jesus, who really trusts and puts their life, their whole life into God's hands. This is because the resurrection is a matter of fact and history. That Christianity is built on solid ground, not just a matter of faith. And the power of the resurrection has the power to transform us, just as it did Josh McDowell, just as it did his father. 
Um, I'm not going to do this of official or formal invitation and altar call and all that. just want to say to you two things. If you've never trusted in Christ before, ever, my plea to you, do that today. Jesus and His resurrection, real history, actually happened. If God can do that, imagine what He can do in your life. If you've never trusted Christ before, take that first step today. It would be helpful if you told someone about it. But even if you didn't, I trust God. Some of us, <clears throat> we have been Christians for some time. But maybe we have never put our whole trust in God. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. That kind of trusting God. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart at this time, um, <clears throat> give in. Take that step to say, God, I'm going to trust you with everything I am and all that I got. Because I believe the resurrection is so real that Jesus <clears throat> is alive. He's standing among us in His risen power. I don't want to promise you something that's not true. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. We're all different. may not be the same. Probably not. But I know that the power of Christ's resurrection can transform lives. And we invite you to trust in God and in Christ in the most biblical way today. Let us pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you <clears throat> for the reality of the resurrection. As Christians, we thank you we don't have to be apologetic. We can say with great assurance, Jesus is alive. And we pray that our response to Him will be in accordance with this fact. Thank you that you are alive now and forever. Amen.